And you know, I heard he had a kind of a lot of weird ideas, so that would explain his using Emacs. All righty then. <laughs> <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Harvest. I used Harvest to track time, track subcontractors' time, and invoice clients. Their time tracking is really simple and easy to use. Invoicing includes a pay now function by credit card and PayPal, and you can sign up at getharvest.com. Use the code RF to get 50% off your first month. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 26 of the Ruby Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Eric Davis. Hello. We also have Evan Light. I am back from the dead. And I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week, we are going to be talking about workflow and tools, mostly tools. So um, before the podcast, we were talking about uh, going into talking about like business tools, tools that we use to run our business, software, that kind of stuff. Um, what, what, uh, let's start with kind of the financial end. What, what do you guys use to do your bookkeeping and stuff? An accountant. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a tool joke? <laughs> I, really of, I really hadn't thought about it that way. That's not very nice. Then we're saying accountants are fungible. Then we're saying software developers are fungible and that we're just tools. Let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I use QuickBooks online. Um, it works well. I can access it from wherever. I can have my bookkeeper get in and work her magic and I don't have to worry about it. And it plays nicely with my accountant's tax software. So, And then I use GNU Cash. It's a open source Linux accounting system. Pretty much because it's the one that sucks the least of everything I've tried. <laughs> that doesn't and surprise me. The open source version wins. For me, I use... Well, Eric just uses lots of open source. For me, I use my um, my Podunk local banks online services for just tracking the money just a little, and then I use a a web app called Outright that I've been on the fence about lately because they while I like it, it was bought by GoDaddy lately, um, which makes me a bit uncomfortable. And apparently, I'm not the only one who feels that way. Yeah, I, I have a lot of domains through GoDaddy, and uh, I am actually switching to Hover. <laughs> So as, as they expire, I, re, I just renew them over or just transfer them over to the other service. Yeah, I've been using DNS simple for that. So I guess we're talking about tools. I use yeah. DNS for my domain registrations because um, and, uh, Anthony Eden's done a really good job of providing, well, frankly, a fairly simple user interface for managing a lot of things DNS. Uh, he has a lot of settings that are already um, just a button click away. For example, you want to set up Google Apps, button click, done. Um, and so it's been pretty handy for that for me that way. Plus, it's fairly cheap, and you can get your registrations off of GoDaddy pretty easily, too. Yep. Sounds good. What do you use, Eric? Um, let's see. I use one and one um, mostly because I've been using them for years. I started to move domains off of it because their control panel had bugs that were breaking stuff. And then they upgraded their control panel as I was halfway done. And so I'm kind of using one and one for half of the stuff. And then I'm using Namecheap for the other half. Um, both of them really good. Recommend them for a lot of stuff. Nice. Yeah. I've, it's funny that there are so many out there and that they all kind of work all right. I, I really like Hover just because it's simple. GoDaddy is a mess. Hover. Yeah, I think I heard about it on Twit this week in tech. Mm, yeah. 
So yeah, Go GoDaddy is such a mess. Ugh. <laughs> totally. I mean, yeah, it's, site, it's, site looks pretty. DNS simple site looks pretty. Of course, site design says a lot, but right, you say GoDaddy's a mess. You go to GoDaddy's site, and you may as well be looking at. Well, they have Danica, what's her face? Which is ironic because GoDaddy's site looks like a race car in terms of the amount of crap they have plastered on it. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, is that they changed the interface on the website. I don't know when they did it, but I had to go back in a couple of weeks ago. And so I signed in and then I sat there for five minutes trying to figure out how to get to my domain so that I could do stuff with them. Been there. Yeah. <laughs> I was just I, like, and, okay. <laughs> and, the, and all of their user interface designs are fairly horrid. Yeah. They're yeah. Terrible. And in the meantime, while you're sitting there, you probably bought about a hundred dollars worth of stuff you don't need. Yeah, exactly. You need this, only, don't you? And the the other one, and I I'll caveat this. I'm not sure this is factual. I've heard this anecdotally that if you use um, GoDaddy for domain name search, that that at least one or two people I've heard say that GoDaddy will actually go out and squat on the domain if you don't go buy it. I've heard that. I think it probably depends on you know whether or not they think it's a domain worth worth squatting. But yeah. Which is just pure evil. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I haven't heard them do that. I've heard other ones. I mean, I actually just use the Whois command line tool and just look it up directly. Yeah, sure. that's what I do yeah, anymore. I do that a lot too. That, then Although that, yeah. that's a pain in the butt, though, when you want to search, search across all the various domains, unless you go write a script to go do a whole bunch of different Whois's and parse it. Yeah. If you want to check against .com, .net, .org, .io, .ly, etc., yeah, that's true. I, I generally am just looking for a dot com though or something. So Yeah, most of us are. True enough. Yeah, same here. So yeah. So I think we beat DNS to death. Yeah. What 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 well, other tools uh, are you using? I'll say for DNS. So I use like I said, I use Namecheap and one on one to register, but for any of my like kind of primary domains, I actually use DNS made easy to do the actual name serving. Um it's kind of pricey, but it's I don't think I've had any downtime in like seven or eight years that I've been with them. They're they're really great and they're you can do a lot of high volume stuff and low TTLs. So I separated a long time ago. So if I was, you know, with a bad register like GoDaddy, I could at least have control over my DNS. Yeah, I can see that. Honestly, I've used the clients tend to do well, my clients tend to do a lot of domain purchases. Uh, so I don't have a lot of transparency into what they use. If they were to ask, I'd recommend DNS Simple. A few of them, unfortunately, go through GoDaddy. You know, what are you going to do? Yep. So um, some of the other business stuff that I think we we do some of is uh, time tracking. Yeah. So what do you what well, do you guys use for that? Well, we've talked about that one before. Harvest is a sponsor, or at least they were a sponsor. I don't know if they're still sponsoring. Are they still sponsoring? Um, I need to take the sponsorship message off. They haven't paid me for a while. So. Oh, I, okay. I hope that's not my fault because I'm the one that says I'm sorry. I like FreshBooks more. <laughs> we should get FreshBooks to sponsor. Actually, that should be pretty easy. Let me send them something about that. <laughs> I would I would be happy to do that. But, uh, yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll I'll put that on my to do list while we mention it. But I love fresh books. Um, I I say that unabashedly. I've tweeted about it before. It's made my life much much easier. Um, it it plays very nicely with subcontractors that also use fresh books. Um, I would. While that might sound like a little bit of a um, I don't know, a pyramid scheme. I, I don't see it so much as that way because FreshBooks, you can actually get a lot of value out of it without paying them any money. Um, I think you get your first three to five, maybe five clients for free. Mm-hmm. So if you have a subcontractor who doesn't normally use FreshBooks but want, but you want him to, to interact with you, he can use it totally for free. Um, 
and they can and when they they invoice you that just gets passed right through to the client and you can they can you can have their rate to you the subcontractor's rate to you and your rate to the client for instance um, their invoices look pretty professional there there are a bunch of different reports that they'll generate for you they're really pretty darn easy to use there there are it's not I won't pretend it's perfect but it has almost every feature I want and I've asked for I think I've asked for one or two and I've seen one or seen some of them come along uh, their customer support their online presence is really great I, I've had no complaints about them they are one of the few web services I will say I honestly felt good when I could when it got to the point where I had to pay the money mm-hmm. nice so I, I'm still using harvest I'm pretty happy with them they they have um, a, a Mac app that, uh, that runs on your uh, what is it iOS dashboard or whatever yeah. it's called. oh native app okay. yeah it's a cool. native app for for Mac and uh, so I can just pull it up you know pick whatever project I'm working on just click on the little play button and you know it starts the timer and then when I'm done I just click stop and it stops the timer and so it's it's pretty nice uh that way and it's made it really easy for me to like break things down especially since we had our chat about the the time tracking uh experiment that we're doing um so I've, I've added a whole bunch more tasks in there for different things that I do that are related to the business and so then I can just click on those and you know, it's it. I, I really like it. It's really a nice interface. Um, the the invoicing is easy. Um, I think FreshBooks has this feature too, where um, they can go and click on um, they can click on the invoice and it pulls it up on the web, and then they can click a link to pay it through PayPal or uh, pay it through with a credit card or whatever. Yep. Yeah. And uh, FreshBooks started doing that a few months ago. Yeah, and that that's all really nice. And then. Um, the invoicing, I, I, the, the thing that you mentioned about the subcontractor invoicing you and having that pass through to the, to the, um, client that, that really appeals to me. Harvest, yeah, I, Harvest I haven't seen something Harvest like that. Harvest didn't have that. Yeah, I, I was using Harvest maybe three, I was using it at the very beginning when I started freelancing. And when I, and I actually had, um, they're not freelancers now, but I had David Brown and Marshall Huss turn me on to FreshBooks just because they mentioned the subcontracting support. And then I just got sucked in after that. I found so many other features that were just great. Harvest does – I'm surprised they don't have it all yet, but they didn't have it back then. Yeah, it seems like they're playing catch-up in some ways with FreshBooks. It does. Um, but at the same time, I mean, the interface is really clean. It's easy to figure out what I need to do and set things up, so – you know, I'm, I'm a fan, but like I said, I mean, I didn't really shop around. I mean, I needed something and, uh, I'd seen other people using harvest. So that's the one I tried out. So, and it works well for me. I'm pretty happy with them. So, uh, yeah, I, I and again, I've, I've reached out to them through support and stuff and, and they're, they're pretty good. They get back to you in a timely manner and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I, I think fresh books might be a little bit ahead. I don't know what their pricing looks like as a, as opposed to harvest, but well, the, the thing I remember, as I said about fresh books, that jumped out at me hardest. I remember paying them from day one. Yeah, FreshBooks. I used them because I tend to have, relatively speaking, longer term clients. I think I may have used them for almost a year before I paid the money. And at that point, frankly, I felt almost guilty because of how much value I got out of them. Right. Yeah, I might have to go check them out. Of course, I'm I, not- I, obviously, I strongly recommend it, and I haven't, I haven't wavered in that recommendation. Yeah. One one other thing that we don't usually talk about with tools is the cost of switching. Yes. And and so, I mean, even if I look at FreshBooks, I mean, it's got to be a major value add before I'm going to switch because it's just... Well, the upshot I remember from Harvest, and the one, one thing that made me feel safe um, switching from Harvest is that you can archive 
your clients, and when you leave Harvest, they don't delete your account. It's it, it benefits them to lead to to hold on to that information because it makes it easier for you to come back. Um, to that extent, though, it also makes it it also makes it a little bit easier if you need to go back for some historical purposes, essentially. Yeah. So it's not too scary. I don't know that either of them provide export capabilities. I've never really looked closely for that. Yeah, the way I used to do it when I was kind of moonlighting, I just, you know, do a little bit of side work after work. I actually use SlimTimer. It's slimtimer.com and they have a little widget that pops up when you click when you click on it. And then um, I would just make my invoices out of an Excel spreadsheet or, you know, numbers or whatever. But that's effectively what I did. And then they just get a, you know, I'd print it to PDF and then send them a PDF. And that worked fine, too. It's just these other systems have such nice features like click to pay. And so it it makes me happy when they click and and pay. And and FreshBooks, I think Harvest does this, too. But FreshBooks has apparently a full-blown API that I've only, I've looked at it a little bit. I've occasionally tinkered with right, the idea of writing um, apps, various apps for it, and then I found that usually someone else had already beaten me to the punch. You know, there's a few times, Eric, we're talking about things I would be passionate about turning into a product. I get the idea, I go, oh, oh, and then someone's done it. <laughs> Different topic. But um, there are a lot of, of, of apps supported by FreshBooks. Outright, again, being an example, with, and Outright provides even better reports on top of FreshBooks. Right. So, Eric, are there tools like this that plug directly into Redmine or Chili Project? I'm, I'm assuming you use something that, that plays nicely with it. Yeah, so, I mean, I use, I was thinking about, I use three different tools. Um, first one's called Bubble Timer, and that's, I can't remember who created it. It's a, there's a piece of paper um, that you would just fill out. It's like, you know, dead tree paper. You fill it out every day, and it's like a Scantron style of, like, what you're doing at any given time. And I've been using the paper one for, shoot, five, six, seven years maybe. I, I was even using it when I was working as an employee. Um, and Bubble Timer is basically a web version of it. So I use that to kind of, like, record, like, what I'm working on. And then every day um, I enter all my time into Chili Project. And so I actually wrote a plugin called Chili, Pro- Chili Project Clocking, which is like a little HTML5 JavaScript-y widget thing to basically add a bunch of time. And so I use that tool to kind of like transfer the data from Bubble Timer into Chili Project itself. Um, once it's in Chili Project, all my invoicing is from that, so I don't need to take it anywhere else. But I know there's a Harvest plugin for Chili Project. I don't know if there's one for FreshBooks, but it basically will sync time from Chili Project out to Harvest. And then, you know, if you clock stuff in Harvest, it'll bring it back in. So you can kind of reconcile billing or if you have subcontractors or, you know, an agency. But most, like I said, most of my stuff's done in Chili Project with the exception of Bubble Timer, which is just a, a one-off clocking thing. And, you know, after after I clock in and put in Chili Project, I don't need that data anymore. Were you talking about Bubble Timer last week on the show I missed, the uh, time tracking one? I don't know. I, I think I might have mentioned it in passing once or twice. Okay. Maybe when we last see, talked about it. Yeah, it I can see how it would be very relevant because on their webpage, they talk a lot about tracking all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and I think we've talked about, you know, the invoicing being, you know, you mentioned invoicing being built into Chili Project and, you know, obviously Evan and I are using FreshBooks and Harvest for that stuff. That's one thing. Um, 
FreshBooks can get a little confusing about its invoicing, but only because in in odd in an odd way, they provide so many different ways to generate an invoice. And it's not a bad thing. It's actually kind of nice that you can get from one screen to another. Um, you can almost always find a way to transition from, from something remotely relevant to what you're doing to being able to invoice for it if you need to or report on it. It just it, it takes a little bit of getting used to. Yeah, I guess that means you know, the UI is kind of rich that way. It's it doesn't adhere to the Python. There is only one way to do everything approach. There are a lot of different ways to get there from here, essentially. Yeah, that makes sense. So, um, what what other types of tools have we not talked about yet? Well, let's see. Timekeeping, invoicing. Have you done like bug tracking or issue tracking type stuff yet, or? Uh, we might have talked about it a little in the past, but not in this episode. I mean, I know you guys talked about Pivotal a lot. I've actually started fiddling with Trello. Uh, one of my clients, um, one of my clients and I were, to, were, 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 I guess my, my current biggest client and I were talking about what to use. And I talked about how I often use Tracker and I have some, <laughs> oh, come on, Eric, you should say it. Um, Eric types Trello eh, in the chat instead of saying it in, in the Skype. <laughs> but um, I like that. I actually like that it, it's visually card based, that it looks a bit like a, a scrum board as opposed to, um, I, I suppose I, I like that it tries to be something of a f- physical simulacra. Um, and it seems... It, its user interface to me seems more obvious than, than than Pivotal Tracker in a lot of ways. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, I don't like Trello. I haven't. I've tried using it for a bunch of different things, and it never stuck. But I also don't like Pivotal Tracker. So it could just be my work style just doesn't work in that kind of way. So I have actually a physical paper Kanban board that looks, you know, identical to Pivotal Tracker and Trello on my wall that I use. I just. The, digital versions I just can't get into. Well, it's interesting you mentioned because Trello, actually, no, I think a Kanban board is probably a better metaphor. Trello is, looks a lot like a digital Kanban board. Pivotal Tracker doesn't really have a physical, as a real-world representation. It doesn't try to 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 be analogous to, to any physical thing. Right. And the thing is, is I've been using Pivotal Tracker for a long time and I've really liked it. But um, for one of my client projects, it it's kind of gotten a little bit messy. And part of it's the way that this particular client has used it because he estimated everything at zero points. And I didn't yeah. argue with him. Uh, so I was just like, well, it's going to take what it takes. I mean, hours, right? <laughs> okay, so, so, so in other words, if you, zero if you, points, yeah, you if get you, it done infinitely fast. Yeah, if you, if you have to estimate it, that's fine. But just realize that that estimate doesn't reflect how, how long it's going to take us. Well, I, right. I, that, that's just why I had to say it. If everything's zero points, you're saying that you're already, you're saying that not only are you, are you already done, you are already done. Yeah. <laughs> So the moment we described the feature, you'd finished it. <laughs> yeah, but anything anyway, it pulls everything over into current, and it'd be nice if current was just stuff that you're actually working on, you know. And then maybe there was another one that that represented maybe what you could get done this month or this week or something. Or so let me talk about Trello a little because that's a little bit of why I like it. You can make as many columns as you want in Trello. Um, okay, so let me back up. Trello. Oh, that sounds have, like tweet burner hell. Um, maybe uh, Trello doesn't enforce. It doesn't automate the transition of features from one column to another column, from one state to another state. You you do it explicitly. So you mark things. You can mark things as done. Maybe in that case, it gets moved. I'm not even sure that's true. Um, but. You can make as many different piles as you want, so you can you can customize it to fit your process. The downside, perhaps, is that you can customize it to fit your process. <laughs> uh, I, I, no, no, seriously, and I say that because 
I, I, I felt bad spending this much time in a conversation with my client about it, but I think we spent at least a half hour talking about wh- how I felt like their names for the Trello columns or mischaracterizing the work that they wanted to get done and how they wanted to get it done. And um, he agreed with me on a lot of stuff, but I really felt bad that we had spent that that I spent their money that much of their money on a discussion like that. Uh, and in Pivotal Tracker, there is no discussion because you could say in a Rails-like way, they have their convention, you stick to it, or you do something else. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have, I suppose, so in that case, maybe it's easier to say Trello is nice if you have a, a well-defined process already and it doesn't fit Tracker. Um, and but it fits something like Kanban or um, or Scrum. But um, but tre- but if you don't know what your process is yet, then I think Trello is is a time pit, not a money pit. Right. Okay. Well, and the other thing I'm afraid of is they're not charging. So yeah, they're backed by Fog Creek, and so you know they're gonna keep the servers on. But you know when Pivotal went to you know making people pay, there was a huge uproar and all this and that. You're so very right. You're very right. That that, that, that just that, made me a, laugh. It's inevitable. You have to you have to go in knowing that if it's free for now, can stuffle. You know, there's no thing as a free lunch. It'll it'll come around to get you eventually. Well, I think it's funny with the whole Pivotal thing that. People got so upset that they made it a paid service, but I'm just sitting there going, look, unless it's a revenue center of some kind, there there's no guarantee that they're going to keep it available for everybody to use it. So, Or if, or, well, I guess it kind of makes sense that they had to at some point because the Pivotal Labs is a consultancy and yeah. having a product, this seems, this seems to be the thing that if you are a multi-person, if you, if you have, if you're a Rails consultancy of non-trivial size, you come up with a project management tool. Right. There seems to be an unwritten rule. I see. It seems like almost all of them do it at some point. Uh, that said, um, uh, that said, you, it only works up to a point. You do it as as a demonstration of capabilities. You do it in the um, Seth Godin linchpin sense of giving something away for free you know, to, dem- to demonstrate what you're good for, but also giving value. But at some point, it's going to cost you more than you get out of it in terms of the marketing value or the goodwill. And if you're not charging money for it, then it becomes uh, a significant loss. Right. So it seemed like it was inevitable. Trello, who knows? Fog Creek's been around for a while, so I don't understand why it's free. That's a whole different discussion. I think I'm going to write my own and call it Track Mine. <laughs> track Mind? Track Mine, like Red Mine. Tra- oh, Pivotal Track Mine? Oh, mine? yeah. Mine? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm considering moving away from Pivotal Tracker um, for, for some of the reasons I just outlined and also just the fact that I am paying a reasonable amount of money to, to use it with my clients and I'm not sure that it's worth it. And so I'm, I'm probably going to be looking at some of the options out there like Redmine or Chili Project and some of the others and, and just, you know, just see what's there and see what I like, see if I think it'll work and then give it a shot. So, so one we haven't talked about that I have a little bit of a soft spot for, and maybe it's a little Redmine like, is Jira. I'm curious how you feel about that one, Eric, because it seems, I think it has a little more in common with Redmine than something like Trello or, or, uh, or uh, Pivotal. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely more project management in that, you know, think more larger organizations, larger larger process. I mean, I think Jira is like a scale above Redmine and Chili Project, but at the same time, there's things that it, like Redmine or Chili Project does better, and there's things that it, that Jira does better. I mean, it's, sure. it's kind of like what you're talking about with the contrast between Trello and Pivotal Tracker. I mean, you know, Trello, you have... You know, it's like a, a set of Legos. You can do whatever you want, but you can also do whatever you want. Like that's the downside at the same time, and that's kind of how Redmine and Chili Project 
versus Jira are. Jira has this really, really strict workflow and really, really strict way of operating because it's built for large enterprises versus Chili Project, it's really flexible. I mean, I've, I've talked about that a lot and how you can customize Chili Project to work for from like a one person company like mine all the way up to like, you know, different departments, dozen people in each department type thing. I mean, as far as software wise though, I've used Jira couple of years back, I think, or I evaluated it for a company I was working with and it was, I mean, it was hard for them and they were, I think, 40, 50 person company, maybe half a dozen developers and it was just way too much. Like you would spend mm-hmm. six hours out of your day messing with Jira and two hours doing work. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> kind of, honestly, that, that, to some extent, that, that, that's some of my perspective on Jira. I, uh, I first encountered it, I want to say it was maybe 2005 or so. Um, back in the government sector when I was working for a three-letter agency. And back then, it was almost a breath of fresh air compared to all the the crap that we had before. Uh, One of the features that I liked, and I think I remember you telling me Redmine does this too, is uh, anytime you reference a ticket ID anywhere in in any kind of issue ticket, whatever you want to call it, anytime you reference one, it automatically links to that ticket. So you end up with this this wiki-like effect that whenever you're in the comment section or description and you reference anything else, you can very easily navigate between them. Um, and, and, and one thing that, that Jira had that I very much like, I think Redmine might also do, is it allowed you to specify dependencies between issues. The downside is at that point that once you have such a complex mapping of your your tickets, your issues, your, your features, it does get very difficult to manage them, <laughs> which, yeah. which is which is why I, I prefer something more like a Kanban board because you just you you tend to do these things more visually than um, than via some other artificial construct like a, a linkage. Yeah, and I actually I did I don't know, half whatever most of the work for the subtask stuff in at that time Redmine. Mm. So I mean we were trying to copy how Jira works with some things, but the implementation I don't even think it got actually finished correctly, and there's a bunch of weird bugs with it. But I found, especially for myself and almost every one of my clients, all the way up to like a large government um, client, when you really start messing with like subtasks and dependencies, it just it's a ball of mud. I mean, you need right. to hire a full time task manager person. Yep, that's all they do. And, and guess what? That's what we had on on a government project. We had a full time. Yeah. It's ironic they would call that person the configuration management person. I had no idea what that had to do with configuration management, but <laughs> <laughs> but that, that that was the the title that they used for that job position is always would, a configuration management. I would call them the subtask master. <laughs> Subtask master. I, I, I thought of a few different things in play, and I did actually censor myself this time. <laughs> well, thank you. We appreciate that. <laughs> the audience might not, but you do. Yeah. So, Eric, why should we consider switching over to Redmine or Chili Project? And, and this is something that I, as I've said before, is something that I am interested in. Well, I mean, I'm going to prefix with this with any tool, like even Redmine, Chili Project, Emacs, Vim, whatever, use what works best for you. Like try it out. You know, I, I hate telling people why you should switch to something because that's just my opinion. But the reason, I mean, way back in the day when I got started, I picked Redmine because, yeah, I mean, this was before Pivotal, but you could use, you know, something like um, Mantis or Bugzilla to track your bugs, but then you're going to need to use Harvest to track your time. And then 
uh, maybe QuickBooks to do your invoices. You know, you have all these seven or eight tools. And what attracted me to Redmine at the time was that most of that was in one system. And then what also attracted me was it was open source and in Ruby on Rails. So I can change it. And in fact, I think four months into it, they added a decent plugin system and I started writing plugins and tweaked it. And that's how I got my invoicing. That's how I got the the HTML5 clocking tool I was talking about earlier. And so now the stock Redmine or Chili project might not be best for you, but it, you know, with all the plugins, you can customize it and do that stuff. You can really like, this is what my workflow process is. And so for me, I've done an extensive amount of work and I have a, maybe about a hundred or so plugins that I've written for clients to tweak it for their process. And that's why, that's why I can say like, it works for a one person company or maybe a five person uh, agency all the way up to government size organizations, you know, and it's, it's pretty flexible. Um, it has rough edges, but it's open source and almost all software is going to have rough edges. So that's, that's why I use it. I mean, give it a try. There's demos of both Redmine and Chili Project and there's several public ones you can actually play with to see like, okay, what's real data actually look in this? Yeah, that makes sense. And you, you could put a little lipstick on it, you know, put build a plugin that gives you kind of the Kanban view of things. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've, dude, let's see, I've written one kind of kanban I think this was even before Kanban got into software. I've written Con, one plugin for Con, that. Con, kanban Is that anything like kanban or... Um, yeah, no. Sorry. Did I get the desired volume there? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Excellent. My but Con Bunny like, lies over the ocean. Or is it, you know, Con Bunny? Yeah, any, anyway, go ahead, Eric. <laughs> I've written one that's very, very simple. It's actually like two lists of what you're, one's what you're working on and what you have available. And then I've written two other Kanban plugins, one for one group where it's kind of simple and then one for um, a school, like a university. And it's actually like, I mean, it's massive. Like it loads like every single model that it can but you can drag and drop and do inline editing and a whole bunch of other stuff. So, I mean, that's the thing. Like I've even considered writing even a really simple one for me, you know, take maybe like two or three days and then my entire process can be changed or tweaked and, and, you know, improve that way. Right. The only downside is that if you're writing a plugin, then it's more code and you have to maintain it. So mm -hmm. it's, it, it is also a liability. Granted, you can say that about any external dependency, but if it's your code, then it's your liability. Then it's very much your liability. Right. Then, then you go, who's the idiot that wrote this? And then you, <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I do that nuts. all the time. Bug. Like, who do I submit the ticket to? Oh crap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, I've had that before, like, uh, on invoicing day, I was doing my invoices, ran into a bug, had to stop, fix the oh, bug, do a deployment and then get back to invoicing. But, uh, and then, and, like that's, and anytime you use open source software, like that's a problem. But also yeah. if oh. that happens in harvest or whatever, and harvest has a bug, you're stuck. Like, yeah. You you're waiting do for anything. them. Yeah. It, it's, it's a little bit of a tangent, but this is why I often talk to, when I talk to people about gems that, that I use that in a lot of cases, I will actually go look and slash live and go look and slash or slash test and and see what it's like because I accept when I use gem that I'm effectively taking some degree of ownership. Yep. I mean, a lot, a lot of people don't think about that. Other than like, you know, the top 
like you know well well known plugins and stuff. I actually do a code review of almost all gems and libraries I use, especially the older ones, just to make sure about security or like did this guy abandon it halfway through and all that. And in yeah. fact, I do that with every WordPress WordPress plugin I use just because of, you know, that's a very highly targeted system. And in, in our field, abandonware is actually perhaps the worst problem. You see a lot of abandoned gems in, in, in well, Ruby, but Rails especially. Yeah, and some of that's due to the, you know, the movement that Rails has where, you know, they, they increment the version, they have major changes, and some of that's yep. just due to the fact that people are busy. Yeah, no, exactly, I mean, but that's why I mention it, though. It, it, it is a real problem. I just wanted to emphasize it. Eric had a really good point there. Yeah, I mean, I'm, like I said, I've written 100, I mean, it could be more than that, but about 100 plugins for Redmine, but half of them I'm considering abandoned. Like, I don't use anymore, or the client finished the project, and it's kind of like, you know, if it works for you, great. If it doesn't, you know, you're either going to need to fix it yourself or hire someone to fix it for you type thing, you know? But the thing is, since it's open source, they can at least look at it and say, oh, this it's just like a minor fix or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. So let's move on to another class of tools that uh, is kind of related to project management, except it's more for life in general. And it, it's so funny to me because I remember when I first needed a to-do list, um, my first inclination was, since Pivotal Tracker was free, to just put all the things I had to get done into Pivotal Tracker. <laughs> and guess what? It didn't work. Yeah. And it, it's made for a completely different context. And, and I still don't entirely understand why it didn't work, but it didn't work. So what what do you guys use for to-do lists? Um, I've, I've, I don't follow it as heavy as I used to, but I do GTD and ZTD. So ZTD? What the uh, Zen's are done. Um, oh. It's, a lot, it's like a lighter version of GTD. Um, but I've gone back and forth, and I've stuck with basically just a text file. Um, I've, I have a special Emacs mode, so it colors it, but it's basically text, like priority, what the to-do item is, and then I use um, tags for context or, uh, you know, like anything like that. I just, you know, Twitter style tags just throw a bunch on at the end. So and is it is it not org mode? No, I actually hate the org mode to do list. I used it for a while. Um, there's it's too too many restrictions. And Sorry, so what the heck is org mode? That's uh, the Emacs mode where it stands for I think organization. Uh, yeah. You can make outlines and it's really good for writing. Okay, and it also I, has like plugins like crazy. You have to remember that most of us we don't use this crazy Emacs things, so... <laughs> yeah, but I've heard of many, many Vim people talking about org mode. It's no, I, I, I've heard org mode mentioned. I, I just didn't remember anything about it, so I thought it might also be good for the listeners, too. Yeah. Um, but so now, it's like I said, it's it's still a text file, and I'm actually copying the format of a system called todo.txt. Mm. Um, very basic, and it, it actually, the nice thing is, is people have written um, iOS clients for it. There's web clients and all that, and uh, there's a command line client, but I don't use it. So it's a pretty simple standard format you can read, but there's also ways to access it natively and you know put a nice pretty face on it. Right. I've used uh, a variety of things. I got into GTD about seven or eight years ago. And um, I've tried everything from, I think back then it was a Palm Pilot and all kinds of things in between. Most recently, I guess over the past year, I've been fluctuating between OmniFocus and uh, OmniFocus by the Omni Group and Things by Cultured Code. Uh, I like Things because it is simpler, it, it, it is more focused, it, it actually cuts out 
a lot of features that OmniFocus has, so it's less of a powered user app. But to me, Things is Apple to um, to OmniFocus is Microsoft in a way. But in this case, the Microsoft wins for one very ironic reason, and that's that OmniFocus uh, plays really nice with Siri. So it, the OmniFocus, which I'm comparing to Microsoft, plays really nicely with the Apple 4S uh, Siri feature because um, you can have OmniFocus sync or, or collect tasks from your reminders list in iCloud as long as you just name the list a particular thing, you inform OmniFocus what the name of that list is, and any reminder you put in that list will get synced to your OmniFocus. <laughs> so to me, that's very useful because the, one of the reasons I've always wanted the mobile reminder app, not so I could type things in, it's that I always remember things when I'm in a, in a hands-free mode when I can't type. I remember things when I'm biking. I remember things when I'm driving. I remember things when I'm on the toilet, for example. Um, and I don't, and, okay, I have typed on the toilet, I admit it. Uh, but even, <laughs> but, <laughs> I, I have a bad feeling that's, that might be the intro right there. But, um, oh, well, I worked with David Brady. <laughs> I, I, I know. I, I was going to replace on the toilet with another word, but I, I intentionally did not. No, I have, I have to say, though, that I've, I've heard him doing all kinds of things with his phone on the toilet, you know, in at work. <laughs> Let's interject that David's a Mormon, so there are some things he won't do with his to- his toilet, his phone. When he's on the toilet. <laughs> his to- fair enough, toilet, fair enough. Not his toilet when he's on the phone, which is what I almost said. Okay, uh, <laughs> but Evan, have you paired on your toilet? <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> There are too many ways to interpret this. I believe in every case, I believe in every case, that's a no. That's a little bit of a TMI, but in every case, I believe the answer is no. I will leave it at that. Um, but going back to the, the trying to be topical once again, I, I'll, I'll, I'll attempt. That, to me, that's the killer feature that I can, re- I can record tasks by voice and they will still get the, and they'll get the OmniFocus. I can't do that with things. If it were if it weren't for that, I would be very inclined to use things because it's simpler. I like simpler. OmniFocus has tons of features. It allows you to parameterize your tasks in so many different ways. Um, in some ways, it gets to be too much. I I think Eric actually inspired me with something he said maybe about a year ago that I use OmniFocus in a very simplistic way. I intentionally try to ignore a bunch of features, and I, I, I basically use it in a very pared down fashion. I would rather use things, but if you are very, if you think if you think of things a lot when you're hands free, you would be better off with OmniFocus. If you're on iOS, yeah. If you're not on iOS, I'm so sorry. So you you guys have heard me on the show say that I use things. Yes, that is no longer the Some case. Things. <laughs> some things that is no longer the case i switched to omnifocus do you use stuff with your some things stuff and things yeah yeah, yeah. sorry you switched to omnifocus when did you do that a couple weeks ago yeah. um i decided to try it out it was only like 30 bucks on the on the app store so i thought i'd give it a shot and to jump in just for one second and mention something that you had asked earlier you can export from omnifocus you can't export from things as far as i can tell yeah, I, I I looked for about five minutes and then just gave up with things to, as far as exporting went. But um, the thing that really sold me was the sync to iPhone and iPad. And it, the funny thing is, is then things two came out and yep. it has the sync in it. So, yep. um, but the other but thing, Omni focuses had that via web dev for ages. Yeah, they just added a, the Omni Group added a service for it more recently and made it free, which has been nice. Yeah, it's been really, really nice. But uh, the other thing is for me, 
um, that, that really sold me once I started using it was it just, it just organized my to do's more in line with the way that I think about them. Mm. So I can group them by projects. I can, I can nest the folders if I want to. Of course, I only have like two layers of nesting and, uh, you know, I can set different contexts on it in different ways. So I can, you know, I can say, these are the things I have to get done today. Or, you know, these, these should have these tags on them that, you know, kind of span across different folders and things. And, um, just, but it's not fixed. It's only focused. Yeah. But the, the, the whole interface just, it just kind of flowed better with my workflow in really? general. Yeah, I find I find the OmniFocus interface a little cluttered. Yeah, even though I mean, it, it okay, it's not. But compared to things, because things is minimalist and and, and I did yeah. it. But OmniFocus's UI can be a little busy. That's true, but the the place that I use it probably half the time is on my iPad. Ah, uh, okay, and, that's, and it's that much better on there. the iPad. Yes, yeah, no, the iPad UI is actually wonderful. Yeah, I love it. So the best bunch. If if I'm blowing through to dos, if I'm or if I'm working my list, like if I have to type, if I have to put anyone in, I'll do it on the computer so I can just type it in with the keyboard. Right. So I guess it bears mentioning at that point there is an iOS, there's an iPad client, there's an iPhone client, and there's a Mac OS X client. Yeah. They all have very distinct user interfaces, um, and the iPad client, I think we both agree, is by far the friendliest while maintaining a lot of the richness. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So it's, it's anyway, so I'll just set that up. And then I'll just have my iPad sitting on my desk and I'll just, you know, okay, what do I need to do now? I'll go look at my to-dos and, you know. So we're talking about tools again. Granted, we're getting a little bit hardware-y, but that's, all, that's always been a goal of mine. When I'd written my one iOS app, I was trying to write it as a heads-up display, essentially, to run on an iPad next to my computer. It is an auxiliary display, but displaying one type of information. Mm-hmm. So OmniFocus can be really good that way. I think I need I need to try that. I like that idea. Yeah. So yeah. Are, are there any other tools that we've left off? Any tools or types of tools? Can I mention one other little detail of OmniFocus? If anyone's going to try using it for real, um, what I what I've done that that helped me might might help other folks is you can make what they call perspectives in OmniFocus, and this allows you to have. It's a lot like a. a a stored procedure, I guess, if you will, for a database. It allows you to have a custom filter um, that displays only the tasks that you want, you know, given various conditions. So like with mine, I only display the ones that are due in the next few days and the ones that I flag. And that, so like my flags are my GTD equivalent of what I need to do today or are super duper important and I really need to be reminded of them. And then anything with a date obviously is pretty important because it has a date on it. Right. Just for any kind of hardcore GTDers out there. Well, okay. Is this a sequel to United Stored Proc? Okay, fine, Eric. Semantic, pretty semantic difference. <laughs> he, he's typing this. He's not saying it. He could be saying it. He just likes to mock me in, in writing. I just don't interrupt you. Oh, come on. Yeah, you you're should. on a roll, wait, Eric. More wait, people should. Ah, bastard. Where did Eric... Wait, what, when were you allowed to get a sense of humor, Eric? I need to know this. When were you allowed to? Who said you could get one? He, he has a kid now. It's requisite. If you don't have a sense uh, of humor, uh, you'll go insane. That... I hadn't it's thought called of... sleep deprivation, you know, not sense of humor. <laughs> Chuck, I think you nailed it. You know those remarks I was making a couple weeks ago about Eric seeming different? That might be it. <laughs> sleep deprivation and, and insanity. Got it. <laughs> yeah, he, he grew himself a sense of humor. <laughs> That too. Yeah. 
Sorry. Right. So I I, I, tan- I tangented this back from the the next topic. I don't know where you were going next. No, that's fine. Um, so well, what- I was thinking, if it's just business stuff, the only other stuff I could think about is communications. But I mean, that's email clients and Skype, pretty much. Yeah, that's yeah. Where, that's where I was going to go next. I was going to ask what you guys use for your email. <sighs> I'm not happy with any of them. I, I used to use Sparrow until it basically got disowned because of Google buying them. Now I'm back to Apple Mail, and I'm kind of sad. It got disowned, meaning you disowned it? or Well, meaning that Google bought Sparrow, and I don't know what if, they, if it was a talent buy or a software buy. I really hope it was both. But um, Sparrow is only getting a little bit of maintenance now, and they're not getting any more new features. Oh. So you didn't know that. Okay. I don't know if you're a Sparrow user, but once no. I heard about that, I decided maybe it's time to, to move on again. So I'm trying to find a decent solution. I don't really like Apple Mail still. Even in Mountain Lion, it's, not, it's still a mess. Right. It's funny because whenever I hear about these products that are discontinued or whatever, I always try to think of some kind of like ironic or funny name for something that you could be like the next generation of it. And for some reason, what I came up with was chicken. (laughs) So your next email client would be chicken. (laughs) I don't know. Tastes like chicken. Yeah. Anyway, I use uh, Google Apps for my email. And so I just use the web interface for that. Uh, Well, I use Google Apps too. It's just I used to use Sparrow's front end. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really like the, the Gmail interface and I'm happy to do it over the web. So that's what I do. And then I use, I have Rackspace email um, because I didn't want everything in my life in Google. And Rackspace just seems to be up more than Gmail was when I was looking around. Huh. And then I use, it's just an, it's an IMAP account. So I use Thunderbird right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to be the best. There's a, I've used a couple other like esoteric Linux email clients. Um, big thing for me is like the automation. Like I can just hit one key and actually like do you know a bunch of things without actually using the mouse. Um, but yeah, Has there I mean, been a new release. Of, sorry, I was going to ask if there been a new release of that in the past year or two. I used to like Thunderbird, but it seemed like it had gone idle for a while. Um, it's pretty active. I think it's it's kind of like where Firefox, like Firefox took forever to release and now they're like up to like version 1624. Um, pretty active. Like I've been seeing some updates. This is, you know, this is on Linux. So it's, you know, pretty much their core operating system they yeah, work with. I don't know it, how it is on Mac. It used to work pretty well in OS ten. I remember it might have been one of the first mail clients in OS ten that did threading pretty well. Yeah, but it's, I don't mean yeah. I don't mean CPU pretty nice. threading, I mean conversation threading. Yeah, it's nice. I like I said, I have it with Rackspace, and I also use it for my calendar, which pulls from Google Calendar and a couple other like web calendar thingies. Yeah, I use Google Calendar as well. My whole life is on Google. I Cal, I'm, I'm a Mac loser fanboy. <laughs> lazy. I'm lazy. That that's actually it. I'll use what's given to me as long as it works moderately well. Apple Mail though is letting me down. It's like what mail client to use? A Mac. Okay, what calendar to use? A Mac. Yeah, well, use a Mac. You hear me grumbling about, about Apple Mail, and actually, I use Chrome. I don't use Safari, but um, but I don't like Apple Mail. It's still bad. Chrome for the um, win. 
Yeah, Chrome. No, Chrome is wonderful. Yeah, I love I it. I love, love Chrome. Developer actually, tools are awesome. Chrome on, I, Chrome on iOS is actually pretty good, too. Oh, really? I haven't tried it. Okay, so this is actually worth mentioning. Because uh, Chrome has, um, it's had voice search on Android for ages. It has voice search on OS on iOS. No and way. It's vo- oh, yes. And its voice search is not only light years faster than Siri, it is light years more accurate than Siri. It, it, it's amazingly good. The wow. number of things it gets right where you where I tell myself, you know, Siri would just trip all over this and it interprets it spot on. Wow. It it, it does make it this actually is one feature that makes me a little sad that I'm on iOS instead of Android because Google voice recognition is so good. It must be all the years of running Google four one one where they were probably training up some neural net or something like that or doing like well, of course, no, it's Android, it's Google data mining. Um <laughs> anywho, it's Wicked fast and very accurate, and you can use it on iOS. Give it a try; it'll blow you away. Yeah, and you can get a accessory. They actually implant a chip in your brain, and so you don't. Ah. Talk. <laughs> <laughs> Soon as he said accessory, I, I had a feeling I knew where this was going. <laughs> Nice. First, come on, Eric. First, they're going for they're going for your brow. Next, they're going to go for your eyeball. Then they'll go for your brain. <laughs> Yeah. So what do you guys use for uh, social network or social, what do you call it? Like Twitter and Facebook, social media management. MySpace.com. <laughs> you mean MyBlank.com, right? Wasn't ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like um, realistically though, uh, on my phone, I use the Facebook app or whatever. And then for Twitter, I use Hootsuite, um, both the actual native apps on iOS and then the web version or whatever on the desktop it's it's the best um and it isn't as it's not like an adobe air app so i can actually have free ram on my system <laughs> i love that i yeah. used to i, I, I use, tried i use hootsuite and uh i i really like it and and you know for basically what eric said you know tweet burner or tweet what is it deck tweet deck yeah oh yeah i hate that thing <laughs> Well, okay, TweetDeck is great in the wintertime because you don't have to pay for heating. <laughs> God, you listen to this guy. Where did this sense of humor come from? <laughs> I already um, told you. Yeah, you, 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 I guess you just need some good ventilation around your computer and then, then, then or just plug it into the same ductwork and you're good to go, right? Turn the furnace yeah. off. But um, they, they've been adding features to, to Hootsuite pretty frequently and... So uh, I almost don't need Buffer anymore, BufferApp.com, because all the features that are, you, are in there. Are you both on iOS for yes. mobile? No, so, for, for mobile, no, I have an Android phone. Okay, so this wouldn't apply to, to you then, Chuck, sorry. Uh, well, actually, in OS ten it does. I, um, I've tried Hootsuite. Okay, so I, I, I understand what, what Hootsuite is, because I, I used CoTweet some before, and I've used Hootsuite a little. I Hootsuite just feels like overkill for me. What I what I discovered on OS ten, I mean iOS, and they've released an, an OS ten alpha for it. I mentioned this a few casts ago. I think uh, uh, Jeff was excited about it. it was um, Tweetbot or is it is it Tweetbot? Am I getting the Tweetbot, name right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tweetbot. Tweetbot in iOS is really simple. It's really slick. It's the best user interface for any Twitter client I've seen. Well, the, and, the reason I like Hootsuite is it's like TweetDeck. You can have columns. Yeah, but if no, I, I set up well, I set it up on the web, and it gets synced to my phone, so I have the yeah. same columns. I, I I understand. I guess um, I, maybe I've been getting worse about reading my Twitter. I go through phases of reading everything and then not being able to read very much, and 
even having it mark what I've read wouldn't help me very much. Um, but Hootsuite's one of those things where, to me, it's a little bit for me, it's a little like OmniFocus versus Things, where Tweetbot feels more like Things to Hootsuite's OmniFocus. My feeling. Um, there's also an OS 10 alpha of Tweetbot that's currently free. Uh, odds are they'll charge a, a very small a pittance for it, like they did for the iOS app. And the alpha is already pretty darn good. And the other nice thing is if you use Mountain Lion, it plugs into the notification system, which I dig. Uh, so personally, I, I recommend that. Now, we don't. I know this is a total rat hole, but you know, everyone hold on to your Twitter clients very closely because who knows how long they'll actually be working anywhere near as nicely as they are now. Yeah. Given that Twitter API 1.1. Yeah, and to be honest, the Twitter website, I've left it open. That kills Chrome just as bad as Adobe Air used to kill my system. Like, oh, it's, yeah. it's pretty bad now. Yeah, it's pretty heavy. And they're trying to, in the, so brief rat hole, if, for those of you who don't know, Twitter is trying to very tightly control their API. They're also, to the extent that they're trying to have a, sounds like almost uniform user experience across most clients, which frankly defeats a lot of the purpose of even having multiple clients. And it seems like, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of the reason for this is because they want to force the client's display advertisements from, or um, advertised tweets from Twitter, that you won't be able to mute tweets by uh, any particular user, for example. Uh, you, and I, don't, I guess you probably couldn't block a um, sponsored tweet, for instance. I think so. I think it's also they want a consistent UI. Um, and I can understand that. I've seen a couple other apps where they don't, and it's like crazy. But it seems like the business reason is so that they can actually say, like, yes, everyone will see this ad and all that, which, you know, I mean, they're a business. They have the right to do it, but it kind of does suck. But and, and so that the where I was going to go with this, when when Chuck asked, what do you use for social networks? I was about to say, well, I'm starting to use app.net. I, 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 I signed on to my the, the I have fifty dollars dot com website. Um, that's the joke website for apps.net right now to create an account and you have to spend 50 bucks for a whole year. Um, and it, it's still very early, but I wanted to get my name and I'm just annoyed enough at Twitter that I want to throw my money behind the competition. <laughs> now, I mean, in all honesty, like not to get on a tangent, but app.net. We're already there. It's okay. <laughs> that seems to me the same thing that Depp Suara or whatever that thing tried to do that I, massively I failed. Um, I don't think it's wholly true, if not for any other reason, because app.net is charging money up front. Diaspora, it was a lot less clear how they were going to make money. So I don't think app.net will have that problem. I think the problem that they'll have is gaining traction, gaining market. Right. Yeah. But I mean, still, like that's that's a problem with any kind of network effect software. Yeah, well, but at the same time, app.net has the benefit. Just Twitter, just remember Twitter, I guess it was five, six years, maybe it was six years ago or so, when Twitter was mostly a lot of Rubyists and Rails developers because Twitter was created by a bunch of Rails developers. And then it started to grow into a lot more. App.net seems like it's starting very similar where it's a lot of web professionals who are pissed off that Twitter is locking down the API. Yeah, the, what is it, adoption curve or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, we'll so, see. I mean, it just to me, it seems like, hey, this seems like a repeat of, what, 18 months ago or something. I, I, I kind of thought the same thing. I feel like it has a better shot. I, I admit I'm skeptical on its odds overall that Twitter might pull an Apple. Where, because this, to, 
by metaphor, this reminds me a little of when Apple decided to lock down what, how you could write their apps. You would have to do it in Xcode. It would have to be an Objective-C++, or Objective-C, not when I say Objective-C++. It'd have to be an Objective-C, and for all intents and purposes, this would have screwed a vast majority of the iOS developers, and so many of us screamed that, what was it, maybe a month later, Apple backpedaled really hard and basically said almost anything goes. Yeah. Yeah, and since then, Apple stock has just went down the tubes. Yeah, it's been really terrible. So, <laughs> but that was again. This was you know, Apple backpedaled though, because there was a really strong dev pushback. And Twitter's seeing the same pushback. Maybe they'll respond, or if they won't, well, maybe maybe it'll cost them. I guess we'll yeah. see. Well, it's interesting because the openness of their API and the way that the ecosystem kind of grew around it is really what took Twitter to where they were. So. Right. It, it feels very bait and switchy. It's, it would be a lot like if Google all of a sudden said that you had to pay to, to use um, the Google Maps API or, or something like that. If there's some things that it, – it's, basically, it's, a, it's a lot like saying, here's air, breathe it. Oh, by the way, we're going to charge you by the liter. <laughs> so long and thanks for all the fish. Yeah, really. All, all right. Well, I think we need to get to the picks. Yeah, well, one, okay. one thing I want to say before uh, – before Twitter changes their API, another tool which I forget about is I have a 21-line Ruby script that I use so I can just on the command line type tweet and then type a Twitter thing. Um, I found that's extremely fun, especially when I'm venting about bad code because I can pop up uh, the console, type it nice. out, send it off, and I don't have I don't get stuck on Twitter reading everything. So you share, that's so- that's another tip. Can you go just that and link to it in the show notes, I was going to say. <laughs> I, mean, it's, I, I want that. Chucky it's, Wanty. It's oh, literally required Twitter. Off too, because you're using the Twitter API. <laughs> yeah. It's literally required Twitter. Here's all my OAuth consumer stuff. And then Twitter update and then whatever I typed in. So, it's, I mean, you could probably get it from the, the RDoc readme of the Twitter gym. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, let's, let's go ahead and jump into the picks. Um, Eric, why don't you go first? Okay, so I've been sick for six days, so my pick is something I've just been playing with. Um, I'm trying to think. A while back, I started trying to do more stuff on my iPad to be more of the, you know, get out of the house, work remotely type stuff. And I still can't quite do code and all that on there because Emacs over an SSH on the iPad is not quite right. But as far as writing goes, I'm actually really able to just sit down and write on the iPad. And I found for like free writing or just, you know, doing a draft blog post, I'm actually more productive on the iPad now than I was on my computer, mostly because I don't have 40 things popping in front of me. <laughs> um, and recently I got a recommendation for it and I, I went out and bought it and I got Byword, uh, B-Y-W-R-D. It's a really, really nice, simple markdown editor for, I use it on my iPhone and on my iPad. Um, the nice thing is it syncs with either, was it the iCloud thingy or Dropbox? Dropbox and so does that. that's awesome. Yeah. And what I'm actually doing now is I have a large file of like the blog posts or different things I'm writing in Dropbox. And then I just start writing in there. And then once I feel like, oh, this chunk looks like it's complete, I actually pull it out and then put it into a post. So I have this sold, big, long sold, file of content. Sold, buying it now. I read all my presentation slides in, in, in Keydown, which is Markdown. So you, you had me at Markdown iOS. <laughs> you had me at Markdown iOS, OS 10, and Dropbox. <laughs> yeah, and so and that's actually my second pick is um, I was playing with it today, uh, Keydown. It's, what, it's, I guess, HTML5 JavaScript-y presentation. I, have, I haven't done that one before? Damn it. I don't know. I mean, I've... 
All right. In the past two days, I probably spent three or four hours and created a presentation template, created four, maybe 10 slide presentations and recorded screencasts with a script of them. The nice thing about Keydown is it's, like you said, Evan, it's marked down, you know, it turns into yep. HTML and JavaScript. So I actually can use it on Linux. I can use it on the Mac. I can, I think it works on iPad. Like the, I saw the JavaScript code response at touch events. So it's pretty nice. And it's kind of what I always wanted in a presentation tool. And I've heard some inklings of other tools where you can actually set it up so you're presenting and other people can actually watch it on their computer. And you can actually, they're talking about using like WebSockets and actually advancing the slides on all the client computers at the same time. So it's a nice thing about HTML stuff. And, you know, I don't know if Keydown's going to ever get that, but the idea that my stuff's just in Markdown and HTML, I can transition to another tool really easily. So um, I have tried to run Keydown presentations in iOS just for, well, kind of for laughs. And it will blow up Safari under some circumstances if you have a, and it really, I think, depends on size, the size of your is presentation. It the, which, how new is it? Because the Deck.js stuff, I think, uh, looks a lot newer, a lot better. Fair point. I think I'm, I don't know. Let's see. How, how old is the version of Keydown I'm using? This will take me just a moment. Jim, uh, search Keydown. Keydown 0.9.2. How recent is that? So, um, is that recent? Yeah, I think dot nine was when they switched to DeckJS. They used a different one before. Oh yeah, no, yeah. Keydown itself needs to. Oh use no, they have Deck they haven't updated it in a while, dude. Zero nine two was December fourth, twenty eleven. Yeah, I've been using zero um, nine for a while, I guess. Um, I have to completely agree. Keydown is great. Uh, I'll go a step further than you because I was telling a friend who's working on a presentation about this last night. I didn't bother with custom style, custom JavaScript code, or anything. Keydown out of the box. To me, it's in a lot of respects even better than um, than Keynote because in in that Rails like way, it has conventions and it has a lot of limitations. But the limitations to me are they're actually best practices. The limitations steer you toward writing a presentation that is very uh, presentation Zen, the book presentation Zen-like, where um, if you have an image, you have very little text, and that text will usually be on the edge of an image, so it'll flow into or out of the image. It has a lot of nice little things like that built in that you just get for free. So you don't even have to augment it unless you really, really feel an urge to, to make the style completely your own. Yeah, and that's really all I did. was It's like branding, like my business screencast house, ah, blue okay. and green. And then I did stuff for Chirk that is a blue bar on top of my logo. And then, and, you know, the, the style of colors. And it's just CSS. There's no oh, real hacking. Yeah. Okay. Other than I, I, I think, think I had some jokes. So I think I did some JavaScript hacking, like added some to do like countdowns and some animation stuff, but that was like bonus for a specific one. Oh, cool. Yeah, I hope you get that patched in. That would be nice to share with folks. I'd probably use it if it was there. But at the same time, it's one of those, I say that and then I ask myself, well, shoot, do I really want to do that? Because Keydown really is beautiful in its simplicity. Right. Yeah, I'm actually trying it right now on my iPad and it's working good. You have to swipe. It's not a tap. It's a swipe. Mm. It looks perfect. So, yeah, I mean, that's it's a nice one, especially if you're on Linux, because obviously you don't have PowerPoint or whatever the Mac thing is called. So an, another um, quote unquote best practice, I'll say, you know, air quotes, best practice I found with Keydown. I wrote up a, a, a very simple guard file to use with it. So every single time I change my markdown, it automatically compiles through Keydown. So yeah. I get the new slides right away every single time. 
Yeah, I have a I have a watcher file that does the same thing and also watches the CSS. So if I change the CSS, it's you know recompiles it and boom. The only thing that, would, that I didn't do that would be really awesome is if I also forced it to have the web browser refresh. That would be just super slick. I really should mm. do that one of these days, but I, I don't spend enough time in key down for it to be quite worth it, but almost. Right. Yeah, and for like if you're doing screencasts, like screencast presentation stuff, like once you have the template, like I said, I did four screencasts in yeah. four hours, full from start, write the script, record, done. You can just you know bang out new topics quickly because it's just markdown. Right, that makes sense. All right, uh, Evan, what are your picks? Well, let's see. I guess I've had this pick for a couple of weeks now, but I've been various degrees of uh, self-immolation. Actually, no, that would be burning, self-torture, I guess. So um, back on topic, I have these Bluetooth headphones called the LG Tone um, that I bought recently. I've been forever searching for what I consider to be the perfect Bluetooth headset. It's not quite, but it's very, very close. Um, the reason I love it is that it's fairly unobtrusive. It's actually a collar of sorts that you wear. It doesn't close. But um, it has two pods, one on your right side, one on your left, with a uh, very thick connecting, almost solid wire in between. And it has earbuds. The earbuds are connected by a short wire to each pod. So that's to say that you can put these earbuds in your ear and you only have a very short wire from your shoulder up to your ear on each side. Or you can just unplug them and let them dangle. They don't dangle far. They're always easy to find. Or the nifty thing, one of many nifty features, is each earbud has a magnet inside of it. And um, the other polar, the other magnet, the, the, the opposite polarity, is on the front of each pod. So the earbuds just pop right into the pod. It's very easy to get them in and out. So it's very good at getting out of my way. I wore it pretty much my entire trip um, to Austin, Texas uh, for Lone Star. And um, other nifty features, like the whole thing vibrates when you get a phone call. So it's very obvious because you're getting a little neck massage. Um, <laughs> Yeah, not really, but it sounds not really, but it sounds funny, right? Um, and the audio quality is really is is pretty good. The controls are fairly simple; they just take a little bit of getting used to because it's a little Star Trek like. You're not reaching up to your chest to tap on your com badge, but you're reaching up to just above your your pectoral to chat to tap on buttons on either side, which is is nifty in a very nerdy kind of way. If you like Star Trek too much, like me. And the only problem I have is the microphone, like so many that claims to be noise canceling, does not do very well in noisy environments. I tried it when riding my bicycle and Siri would misinterpret everything I would say in that wonderful fashion that Siri loves to do, but worse than normal. And um, also in a in the lounge outside of a conference room where there were a lot of people hanging around, it, it couldn't understand the damn thing I was saying either. That's really fairly typical of most, except for the very, very, very best Bluetooth headsets with excellent noise cancellation, and those got, those ones always have other limitations too. So for just day-to-day use, I love this thing. It's great. I use it around the house even too. It's that it's just that convenient. Um, so Chuck's got a link to that. And darn it, I thought I had another pick, but I'd had the LG Tone queued up for two weeks now, so I just I forgot the other one. <laughs> Awesome. Um, no, it's not awesome, but I forgot it. <laughs> no, the LG tone looks awesome. Sorry. And, and, yeah, the other nice thing is really is pretty cheap, too. Um, I, I talked to one fellow who said he broke it while working out at a gym, 
but um, for the price, I think it's between 40 and 45 bucks, depending where you buy it. You can get it a little cheaper than Amazon, but if you have Amazon Prime, why bother? Um, so yeah, if you exactly. happen to break, yeah, if you, if you happen to break it, at 40 bucks, if you can get a year out of it, you've got an awesome deal, I think. Yep. All right, cool. Um, so my picks, uh, my first pick is something that is actually on its way, according to Amazon. I got a text during the podcast. Um, it is uh, Fujitsu ScanSnap Instant PDF. Oh, uh, I have one. Mobile awesome. scanner. Yes. Uh, oh, the, the mobile or which one? Yeah, it's a mobile scanner. It, nice. I'm, I'm trying to see the dimensions here. It looks like it's it's a couple inches by a couple inches by like nine or ten inches so that it can scan a full sheet of paper. Wow. Oh, um, I see. Very cool. Anyway, I'll, I'll put a, a link in so you guys can see it. But the thing that I really like about it. Um, this is something that was recommended to me through the podcast mastermind, um, that I'm a part of. And, um, the, the cool thing is, is that this one will actually scan in and it will put the documents into Dropbox or into Evernote or into, um, any number of other, you know, cloud services so that you can sync them across to wherever. And the cloud. The, the thing that really appeals to me about that is just the fact that whenever I travel, I always wind up coming home with this big bag full of receipts. And I would love to just be able to scan them in, have it go and put it into Dropbox and then not worry about it. Just throw it away. Let me give you a suggestion that that's very closely related. I've had a, a non-mobile scan snap for a while. I didn't know they had a mobile. That looks really awesome. Um, I've been using DevonThink Pro Office for a few years now because I want I, I hate maintaining paper. I, I still have paper clutter everywhere. Anything that matters to me, it goes in through the scan snap, gets OCR'd by DevonThink Pro Office, and then it's just in my database and I can just search for it easily. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ScanSnap uh, works out of the box with DevonThink Pro. It, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, with DevonThink Pro Office, that is. They've, they've worked together very nicely for years. You just, um, I think it's just one of the options in the ScanSnap software if you have DevonThink Pro Office installed. And as soon as you scan a document, bang, it goes right to DevonThink. DevonThink just asks you, what do you want to call it? And then it does everything else. Um, and the other thing I was going to mention about that, I haven't tried this yet, but I think you, you, you kind of hit it there. I think the sweet spot between that would be that your device plus DevonThink Pro Office with the DevonThink Pro Office database and all the documents stored in Dropbox would be perfect. Yeah. Because then, you, because then if you share that Dropbox across multiple computers, you could share that DevonThink database across multiple computers. Yeah. And the reason I mentioned that is because you're dependent on Dropbox as your medium of communication, but it's stored locally on all of your devices. You're not using um, Evernote. You're not relying as, as much on a software as a service at that point, right. is what I'm saying. That, that's why Evernote always made me uncomfortable, and I, I really prefer DevonThink Pro Office instead. Huh, yeah, I'll have to look I, at this. I have it's the not cheap, desktop it, version or whatever, the, the big scanner, and I actually sync it into the Dropbox folder so I can be on a different computer on my iPad and actually edit and sort them all. Like, you know, because when you scan a lot of things, you got like 100 PDFs. I haven't done this yet, and I'm realizing that just now with this conversation, I so have to move my whole DevonThink Pro Office library and put it all in the Dropbox. That, that would be really sweet. Yep. Yeah, this... the. You know, I'll have to look at Dev and think and see what the uh, deal is. But, you know, one way or the other, then I can just organize it by date or by event or whatever and just have it in Dropbox. I can share it over to my bookkeeper if she needs copies of the receipts for anything. Um, if I get audited or whatever, I can just pull it up and I know that it's on whatever machine I'm <laughs> Let's on. Let's not mention that evil word. <laughs> it what? hasn't happened. The A word? Yes, the A word. 
Yeah. So anyway, so that's one pick. The other pick is something that uh, I discovered again through the podcast mastermind. It was our required reading or listening um, for the last meeting that we had. And um, it was the strangest secret by Earl Nightingale. And uh, he, uh, he was, he kind of got the self-help movement started with this, but uh, it's a 35 minute audio. I think it costs like 89 cents off of, um, off of Amazon. And it was just, it was just awesome. Um, let me see if I can find a URL for it real quick. But basically, um, it's, he, he talks about how like 5% of, of the people out there will, um, become successful, will become wealthy, will become, um, uh, become financially independent, whatever it is, you know, however you're going to measure that level of success. And, um, he, he talks about what the strangest secret is, what, what it is that makes these people succeed. And, um, anyway, it, it's, it's a terrific thing. It really kind of changed the way that I think about a lot of things. And, um, so I, I highly recommend it. I'm going to put a link in for both the, um, the MP3 and the, the text version. The text version is really short too. I mean, it's just a transcription of the talk, but, um, anyway, the, the deal is that, uh, basically he recorded this for some of the people who are working in his organization and had it, you know, cut to vinyl records. And then, um, these folks took it home and listened to it. And then they came back and said, well, I need this for, you know, these family members and these other people. And, uh, it just spread and spread and spread. And so, um, anyway, um, like I said, it, it's something that just really has changed my outlook on things and helped me realize what's important to me and, and, you know, how I'm going to be a success myself. So anyway, um, uh, go check it out. Um, like I said, it's only a, a 30 or 40 minute listen. So, uh, definitely worth that amount of time. So anyway, uh, oh, yeah. So I remembered my other pick, but I don't want to interrupt if you got more. No, I'm done. Go ahead. Okay. This one should be obvious. We've talked about this sort of thing before. We talked about getting a good night's sleep. That's huge. Um, for me, I've been a chronic snorer very much you know, most of my life. And unfortunately, the more weight I put on, the worse the snoring gets. Uh, I find, had a friend who pushed me pretty hard to get a sleep study. It took me about two years to get it done. They said I have sleep apnea. Then they gave me this thing called a CPAP, which stands for constant pressure something or other. And I don't remember what the something or other is. Sorry. But basically what it does is it increases the pressure of the air that you are breathing. So that way it keeps your airways entirely open when you are inhaling and exhaling during your sleep um, because the problem with sleep apnea is that they tend to collapse when you're asleep because the muscles just relax. Um, the result is that your the air content, the oxygen content in your blood goes up significantly when you're sleeping, which means you sleep a lot better. You get more energy. You heal better. You lose weight faster, by the way, I finally found. Thank goodness. So um, if your significant other tells you that you snore a lot, and if you have days, if you have you know, semi-frequent days where you wake up feeling you know, pretty groggy, I strongly recommend you get yourself a sleep study. And if they think, and after that sleep study, which will be a kind of weird thing for you, I assure you, they say that you have sleep apnea, ask them for a CPAP. They'll probably recommend you get one. It will change your life. Everyone told me that before, and they were totally right. So if you snore, get a sleep study, get a CPAP, be happy. Yeah. Well, it's all about quality of life and that's what this is yes. all about anyway. Right. right so, right. 
That's why it seemed relevant. We we were always we talk about quality of life things, and sleep to me has always been one of the hugest elements of quality of life because it affects mood, it affects thinking, it affects your energy, yeah. so, and that in turn affects almost everything else. All right, cool. Well, uh, with that, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap up. Uh, thanks for coming, guys. Glad to finally be back. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll uh, pick it up next week. What are we talking about next week again? Uh, who has the calendar, Eric? Uh, something. You were talking about something and, and stuff. Something and stuff. Yeah, and things. No, we're not talking about things. We're talking about OmniFocus now. Damn it, you got me. Educational <laughs> products. We're having Avdi Grimm join us. Yeah, right, right, right. All right. So we'll catch you all next week. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye.